Welcome to the HU Pirateship Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, you can find us at www.hupirateship.com, where we talk about the pirates. It's year five and episode number 56. I'm host, Big along camp tonight from the HU Pirate Ship. Things are falling apart, man. How you been? Oh, man, just trying to uh, stay alive, man. <laughs> <laughs> True indeed, man. So, I mean, there's a lot going on in the world um so we'll touch on some of it and try and give it a perspective that relates to uh sports and and the pirate sports and uh just our views on the world so you know in this episode we'll discuss the george uh floyd lynching uh covet 19 and sports uh famu looks like they're headed to the swack and uh we'll just give some farewell uh farewell uh, thoughts uh on Jermaine Marrow and Ashley Bates and then we'll just talk about football. So uh we'll get right on into it. So what's today's date? Today is uh June third and uh so we're right in the midst of two major uh things. Number one is of course the George uh Floyd lynching. Um if you're not familiar with that, just give you a really quick uh synopsis on what that's about. Uh, on May 25th of this year, um, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, after Derek Chauvin, a white officer with the Minneapolis Police Department, pressed his knee to Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes while Floyd was handcuffed face down on the ground. Three other officers further restricted his body movement and prevented onlookers from intervening. During the last three minutes, Floyd was motionless and had no pulse, uh, which could be detected. Ambulance was called, but he was uh, dead on the scene. So they basically killed him um, while they were strangling him. Um, well, that one particular officer, uh, he said he couldn't breathe. Uh, he was calling for his mother. Uh, a bad situation, uh, to say the least. Uh, all this was because he supposedly passed a uh, $20 bill. So, you know, even if that is the case, uh, he may not even knew it was counterfeit. But anyway, it, it should not have arrived at this uh, situation uh, to where the man was uh, lynched um, uh, and for the world to see. Um, so uh, there were no initial arrests, uh, which sparked a nationwide protest, um, uh, which uh, quickly got uh, uh, pretty violent. Um, but, you know, protests have a, a tendency of going in that direction, especially when people are pretty upset, uh, very upset. Um, so it's, it's been a busy, a busy week or so around this um uh, what's your thoughts, Hampton tonight, man? I, I mean, I, I'm upset. I, upset is, is an understatement. But how you feeling about this situation? You know what, brother, man? It was just, you know, I, I definitely felt melancholy about it. You know, just very, very, you know, not just disappointed, you know, that we 
We've seen this multiple times in our lifetimes. So, you know, just one thing I think really hit home about, you know, this whole incident with George Floyd was that, you know, if I, when I looked at him, I was looking at myself, you know. It's like we both are big guys, you know. I'm, I'm George Floyd, I think, Brother Floyd was, what, 6'5"? Yeah, I'm 6'5". You know, they say he's, um, what, 285, 290 muscle. You know, I'm a little bit, you know, about 20, 30, 40, 30 pounds north of that. But as soon as these gyms open, I'll be back there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like I remember growing up, I was always told, you know, with your size, always be polite and, you know, don't give a people a reason to, you know, be afraid of you, you know. Now, I mean, since, since we're both big guys, you know, I know I'm looking like I'm uh, on the on the left side of the uh, offensive line. And, you know, since you lost a lot of weight, you know, you on that that D line four three scheme, you know, you're a nice, <laughs> nice size uh, D, D in. <laughs> but but the thing is, though, it's like, you know, for guys like us, you know, we have to be extremely careful when it comes to, you know, how we deal with uh how we are dealt with or how we are perceived and you know that's the worst thing that you know we have to think about you know it's like what he's like what about my awesomeness that you're afraid of you shouldn't be afraid of it you know and the fact of the matter is the person that did the the cops that were responsible for this were some of the most you know they they they, they should not have been in those situations but when we think about this, though, I heard this really uh, awesome quote from Cornell West. He said that right now Martin Luther King is yelling, I told you so, I told you so. And if you think about what Martin Luther King was uh, starting before he left, he talked about poverty, racism, and the rampant militarism of uh, American forces in Vietnam, and he talked about the fact that materialism would be a huge problem in America. And I think that this George Floyd incident touched on all of this. You know, if you think about it, right, poverty, it, um, you think about the poverty, which we saw with COVID now, the fact that it is disproportionately, you know, affecting black people, you know. I think they said, what, 70% of the deaths in Richmond, Virginia are from black folks, you know. And But this is the thing that ties into poverty, which Dr. King was talking about because, you know, he had the poor people's movement before he left. And he knew that if we do not tackle poverty in this country, this will, this type of thing will continue. And then the reason why this ties into the George Floyd incident was the fact that he probably Probably, I'm not sure. He's probably, you know, maybe out of work due to COVID. And, you know, he was at that Cub Foods, you know, with the fake $20 bill, you know. So the fact that he's probably a frontline worker and he's hungry and this is something probably, let, I mean, a misdemeanor, you know, maybe a, a $100 fine at the best. And he had to die for it, you know. And then we talk about racism, what, you know, was the biggest thing Dr. King talked about. is says if we don't tackle this now, then we're going to pay, pay for it later. And then the most important one he talked about was militarism. Back then, we were in Vietnam and, you know, for a senseless war that, you know, wasn't even classified as a war, classified as an occupation. And the fact is that we started to militarize our, ourselves globally. And then we see this rampant militariz militarization, you know, on people of color and black people specifically, you know, in this country. And it, you know, it's to the point where 
who do black people have to call, you know, when you have bigoted police officers or police officers who do not have any connection within the community that they police or a community that they're supposed to serve. So all of this just came to a head in George Floyd's, you know, death. And that's what this is all about. And the fact is, you know, this is a wild thing. We were talking about COVID for so long. You know, COVID like literally had like an Atlanta Falcons lead on the Patriots 28 and 3. And it's just like racism just blew past it, you know. So, I mean, it's just all of these things that Dr. King said just come to pass, you know, that everything is for sale. And the fact is, you know, with everything for sale, I'm sure we're going to see George Floyd merch coming soon, you know. So, I hope we take it seriously, but, you know, my thing is, hope. I'm, I love to see that there are a lot of people globally who are, you know, upset with America, and they should be. And the fact of the matter is, how could this country claim that they're a beacon of light, you know, on this planet, but one person, you know, uh, uh, many people, you know, Brian, and it's not just George Floyd, it's Breonna Taylor, it's uh, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, all of these men and men and women in the past couple of weeks, in the months, you know, have just met their death due to, you know, police deficiencies. So kudos to all the supporters out there. Yeah, that's true. One thing I, I want to touch on is what you said about uh, Dr. King and uh, the militarization, um, you know, as we, you know, our whole lives, man, basically we've been at war with somebody and, um, you know, as a product of those wars, there's surplus equipment, right? So that surplus equipment goes somewhere, uh, which has in, been inherited by local police departments. So, you know, as you see now, I mean, these guys got tanks, uh, helicopters, uh, every type of gun you can imagine. And right now, those those things are trained on citizens, which is just an amazing thing to see. Um, uh, you know, we, me and my, we went down to, uh, you know, where we live, and we went to one of the protests. I mean, the police were, um, they weren't uh, aggressive, and the crowd wasn't aggressive either, so it just kind of stayed balanced. But right down the road in another city, it's getting crazy. And the police, you know, look like soldiers, man. It's, it's just a... Uh, it's a very sad situation um, uh, where we find ourselves. But I, I, like you said, I mean, the global response has been great. Um, the response of our federal government has been atrocious. And, um, it's, Jan it's just June. That's what worries me. It's just June, and it's not even summer yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We've got a ways yeah. to go. Yeah. So, yeah, man, it's um, interesting. You know, one thing, so we're both black men, brothers, mm -hmm. and... Every black man and woman um, that I know has a story to tell about themselves or someone extremely close to themselves who's had a, a very bad run-in with uh, law enforcement. So I've had my share. Um, I remember when I was, uh, the first time I was had my car surrounded with friends in New York City, uh, first time I ever had a gun drawn on me. Um, so, you know, and that was in my, you know, we weren't doing anything. We just going to New York like everybody does to hang out, but we just ran into the wrong cops the wrong day. Um, so, you know, that's one of my experiences. Had several of But here's another one, Hampton, that I didn't, I didn't talk to you about it. Just com I compartmentalize these things and tuck them away so you can keep on trucking in this lovely country of ours. Um, but remember last year when you and I, we went to Hampton 
uh, to talk to the football players. And uh, Coach um, uh, Prunty invited us, which was a great talk. We, we, we uh, went through that on one of our uh, podcasts last week about that situation. But on the way to that speech, I had a, a run-in with the officer on the way there. And I had told my wife about it, my family we were all upset. But, you know, over this, uh, this George Floyd situation and the protest, my wife uh, took to Facebook and just shared our story. Um, so I, I'm just going to read this just so folks can have an idea about what we deal with on any given day just traveling throughout the country. So... Um, and, and I'm not even on any respectability crap. I think everybody should be respected, right? I mean, I, yeah, just right. I mean, you know, we like to we're gonna that. address that too. <laughs> we like to think that if you present yourself a certain way, then that's gonna save you. It will not. I mean, you know, you and I, we graduated from Hampton. I mean, we we've done everything right, and we present well, whatever that means, you know what I'm saying? But it don't help you. I just want folks to know that, like, everybody should be treated the same way, but we have done everything, uh, quote-unquote, the right way, and we're still subject to this nonsense. So just some notes. Here's the lovely thoughts that my wife put on Facebook, which have now gone viral. So the white, the words of Erica, my wife. So she says, let me say this. George Floyd's murder is an extreme example of what black people deal with from police. There are other kinds of police violence that we deal with that seems unremarkable, but is in fact quite violent. For example, when my son was eight, he was driving with his dad when they got stopped by the police. The stop was the usual racially biased pretextual stop. The stated reason was that my husband's license plate was obscured. The real reason was that he was big, a big black man driving a luxury car. The officer initially didn't see my son in the backseat and approached extremely aggressive, as they usually do with us. Hand on gun, belittling demeanor, screaming at him that he better not have any warrants, the usual. When the officer realized that there was a kid in the car, he let my husband go. Man, just, I'm jumping in here. When he saw my son in the back, his whole, his whole everything changed. Everything changed. Uh, back to the story. So, no ticket, no harm, no foul, right? Uh, not right. For my son, his dad is a superhero. Seeing the police talk to him that way with his hand on the gun effed him up. For weeks, my son asked the police why did he do that, or asked why did the police do that. He asked at home. He asked at school. So much so that his teacher emailed me to express her concern. Since then, he's talked about bad police frequently. He asked to join a protest. Imagine being nine years old and afraid of the police and wanting to protest during a pandemic. Imagine having to parent through these dynamics. Black people live in a constant state of state constant state of state and privilege, constant state of state and private violence being inflicted upon us. Policing is just the most extreme example. It's completely a privilege to be worried about property damage over the physical and mental damage that black people live with daily. You think people are out here because it's fun? We don't want to be out here during a global pandemic. We're out here because we are tired. Damn your Target or Gucci store. America is frankly fortunate black people have been as magnanimous as we have been for this long in the store. So that's my story. And this was just going to Hampton just to do something fun, visit your grandparents. My grandparents live in Hampton. My parents live in Hampton. So take my son to Hampton, see grandparents, talk to the kids. And this just happened on any Monday, Monday mundane day. And my son has been uh, traumatized for it. So uh, this is why the protests are are out there. And, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. It's also, also multiracial uh, multi-generational because we can't fix this by ourselves we need uh, folks to realize that you know white supremacy affects everyone um, 
like I read some stats about just for one set of police gear within the, you know, these militarized police, you could have like 50 sets of uh, PPE for doctors and nurses. Like, you know, you, you, everyone pays for this stuff. So I don't know, that, that's my, my rant there. Um, <laughs> anything you want to share after that? Any, any stories you got? Oh, or, or that, that you want to get into? I know it's traumatic for. To, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just got one brief one. Uh, I have many, uh, uh, but I'll just do, I think, my most recent one. Uh, I was in uh, St. Louis, no, St. Joseph, Missouri. This was my wife's uh, mother's hometown. And I had to send a wire to an international wire to another country. And, you know, just, you know, it's just simple business. So, of course, the Bank of America wasn't uh, near, you know, because it it's, a, it's a small town. And so I go to this, you know, like a, I guess like a local bank, and I just say, hey, can I can, uh, send the international wire? You know, and, you know, no issues. So I go this. Uh, so I pull out the code that I have to send, the, and it has to be to a city. Uh, and the city was Dar es Salaam, you know, mm-hmm. and that's. Tanzania. So, of course, you know, the, you know what, I understand that, you know, the bankers did not understand, you know, certain things, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, this might be a little bit over the head. So when I put in the bank code and uh, all the stuff and put my ID down and how much it was, I think it was like close to about three to four grand. And they, you know, they all they saw was Dar Salaam, you know, mm. so they thought it had something to do with probably a terrorist country. <laughs> and they didn't know it was a city in eastern Africa. And, of course, you know, they, you, you know, of course, you know what happens. And, and every they were looking at me suspiciously like I'm like I'm some sort of am I in a, a terrorist network sending money overseas. And, you know, it was just one of these things that I tried to explain. Listen, this is a really simple thing. I just need to send an international wire. I wanted to go through you because you were local. You're right here. And it just turned into this, you know, something that, you know, maybe we should call Homeland uh, Homeland Security on you. Wow. You know? So, you know, but these are things that, you know, I would say that, you know, it, it's, it just doesn't happen, you know, if you don't have melanin in your skin. <laughs> so that's why it's very important as we move on to the next subject to say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. My Speaking goodness. of that. <laughs> oh, man. So this is, man, and this has all happened within the past couple of days, half the night. That's the crazy thing. I mean, we we're, pro- we're, we're doing this on a... Uh, what is this? Uh, Wednesday. But this has been one heck of a couple of days, man. Luckily, I took this week off uh, for work, so uh, before even all this happened, so I just been able to process all this stuff, and it's been nuts. So, uh, just along those lines, Black Lives Matter. So, Coach Six. Anyone looking for Coach Six? He had a fabulous um, post, uh, reliving, recounting a similar situation where you know someone accused him of passing a twenty dollar bill down there next to the university and. Um, you know, police were almost involved and it could have gone ugly, similar to what happened um, to George Floyd. And uh, he just had a, a, a great, Code 6 had a great statement. It just ended with a Black Lives Matter, fabulous statement. So, yeah. r- roundly re- reported. Sadly, on the other hand, um, Hampton uh, Hampton's uh, athletic director, Eugene Marshall, uh, 
wasn't met and didn't have a similar post uh, on social media. So um, he weighed in with an all lives matter statement and it just set alumni ablaze like I've never seen uh, before in my life. So I it just, was bad. Uh, it was bad, man. I, I'll read um, um, just the words of, of his statement uh, really quickly. Um, over the past week, I've had the opportunity to reflect on where we are as a nation and people it is time for all of us to come together in love to stop this racial injustice and the senseless murdering of our people of color. In the latest case, Mr. George Floyd. I have a great dad, brother, two super sons, and a talented nephew that I worry about daily. Because their lives matter, I have because their lives matter. I have student athletes that have either played for me or have been under my leadership for the last 36 years. I worry about them because their lives matter. The time has come to stop the violence now. We can and will do this as one nation, but we need God in this equation. Uh, I am asking for everyone to unite it now to fight racism. Please be safe. We are still in a COVID-19 pandemic and emotions are still very high. Let's start now because all lives matter. Eugene Marshall Jr., Director of Athletics. Now, <laughs> Here's, here's where it gets more interesting after today. So, like I said, I've been off work this week. <laughs> <laughs> Following social media just because, you, know, you know, things are changing quickly. And, you know, Marshall, he had posted this, I think, under his personal account earlier in the day. So I was sitting with my wife, and I came across this tweet. And at the end, I said, it said, all lives matter. You know, my antenna immediately went up because I've lost friends over this all lives matter stuff. Conservative friends, you know, who yeah. since you know, and because uh, all lives matter is a pejorative. It's, it's, it's used to shout down people who say Black yeah. Lives Matter. Um, period. Exactly. That, that's the use of it. There's no, there's no good use of that term. So you might as well yell the N word when you say all lives matter. <laughs> exactly. So I, essentially, I, 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 my wife, she saw that too. Now she's, you know, Erica, she's on Twitter. She's got a big following. She actually has gone viral seven, several times. So she said, she looked at me, she said, this ain't going to go well. I said, I know. She said, you might want to reach out to her. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I sent him a direct message. I ain't going to go into what I said, but it was respectful. I just said, hey, babe, you might want to change that language from all lives matter. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to, it's not a good look. So here are the reasons. So. He just replied, thanks, I got this, in so many words. So I said, all right, cool. Didn't think anything of it. Checked back in later that night, and then someone under the official official Hampton um, Athletic uh, Department uh, Twitter account posted this again with the All Lives Matter. Man, <laughs> and I sent you, I said, yo, look at this. Man, Twitter went off, off. I mean, all of the comments were, like, going crazy. They were calling him a coon sellouts, Hampton, you know, Hampton, this is an embarrassment. Why did I go there? I, you know, this ain't the school I know. I mean, Twitter went off. It was bad. And then I go to Facebook, and then somebody on Facebook said, yo, did you see this? Man, the alumni was like, yo, who is this fool? I mean, it was nuts, man, nuts for the whole night. So then someone at the school had the, the, the smarts to uh, disable uh, and delete comments, so those are gone. And uh, then he reworded it. But the damage is done. I mean, people are still pretty mad. I mean, there was a petition started by someone there at this moment. There's like over 1,500 signatures to have him, you know, for him to fire, be fired or resign. 
you know, that, that's that's debatable. I, I'm not even gonna get into that. But this was it's, it was a terrible statement. I mean, you know, the, side note, there was a um, a sports broadcaster in Sacramento that Boogie Cousins got um, into with uh, over the same thing. And he got he said all lives matter. The guy lost his job because of that. I mean that's how serious it is. You cannot say that. And uh, you know, Marshall, I know that you guys put out a revised statement, but people don't forget uh, you, you got to apologize. You have to at least come out. And people don't know you at the school. People just know you related to the Big South move, and now all lives matter. So you know, if if, if there is a, some desire to uh, you know to have some kind of uh, positive uh, relations with many alumni. You may want to just issue another statement saying, "Hey, I apologize, and here's my record, and whatever." But it was pretty bad, man. What do you think, Hampton? You, you, did you see the backlash, man? It was—I never seen anything like. It. First of all, I want to say that I really respect uh, the AD uh, Eugene Marshall. He's really done an exceptional uh, job. You know, in building this Hampton brand, you know, I mean, we moved to a different conference, you know, our, both women's and bas- uh, women's and men's basketball programs have been extremely competitive track as well. Softball, even though it was cut short by COVID and football looks like it's heading in the right direction. So, you know, kudos to him. But sometimes I think when people say things here <laughs> that, uh, you know, sometimes people uh, inject their own personal opinions into or personal beliefs into, you know, something and you have to respect it. But at the same time, it, you know, it does it. It doesn't translate. And, you know, we just saw what happened to true Drew Brees, you know, yeah. you know, good luck with his offensive line trying to block for him, you know, or, you know, good, you know, it's just like he's a 40 year old man. I mean, I understand we're, you know, we're in that age, too. But he's saying he he did not. He just did basically what George Bush, the former president, just said. It's time to listen and not lecture lecture. You know, he is not listening. And in fact, when you don't listen, it just makes you sound or makes you just feel ignorant. So I'm not calling the AD ignorant. But what I am saying is that. And, you know, and I'm going to put out a little bit of five percenter theology. <laughs> All right. Basically. You cannot, um, the black as a color is an amalgamation of all colors. It's a part of the spectrum. It is the end of, end of, it's all colors together. That's what makes it black. So when you have all colors in the spectrum, and if one of them doesn't get the, uh, I was to say, one of them doesn't get the same vibrance as the other, then it throws the spectrum out of whack. You could, tie that theology into, you know, human consciousness. You know, if you think about it, right, all lives cannot matter until a black life is matter. You know, this country was founded upon the lives. I mean, well, I'm not going to say it's founded. It was built upon the bodies of black lives. You know, you know, black life, the accumulated wealth through this country comes from black lives and it didn't matter and the fact that they were looked at as not even humans, just, you know, just just less than a human, just something that you use to process to get you a profit or a material. And then that accumulation of wealth has come off the backs of our ancestors. And the fact of the matter is 
they mattered way more then because of the numerical and the accumulated value that they produced to make this country the way it is. But the fact of the matter is, if you brutalize and you keep killing these bodies, then you act like a barbarian. So the fact of the matter is, all lives cannot matter until black lives matter. And if all lives ever mattered, then World War One and World War Two. let's just take World War Two for example, 88 million people died in World War II. Okay, I don't know if that's the exact figure. I just looked at it just not too long ago. That is a huge amount of human beings who, caught, who lost their lives based upon a fool and his ideology of, of uh, make, saying that a race was superior than others. You know, and it sounds extremely familiar with what we're dealing with today. And the fact of the matter is, we lost that many people based upon a stupid, flawed principle, and it was similar to the ideology of all lives matter because it never matters. So just what I'm saying, just to go back, black lives matter more because, and, and I'll just say it like this, all lives will not matter until black lives matter. And as far as, you know, this being HBCU, I think sometimes Hampton you know, they always want to be the first at something, you know. We just had Mike Pence here, and all of our little Candace Owens clones, you know, kind of came out and sat next to him. They wanted to be near him, you know. <laughs> and the thing is, I think that we want a seat at the table, you know. <laughs> it's like, why do we... Why do we want a seat at the table so we could talk about cultural affairs, you know, or we could talk about uh, things that don't matter to us? I think being a Hamptonian, we do not need a seat at the table. We need to make our own table. So that is one thing that I've always, you know, not liked about at Hampton. You know, it's like because I remember we used to have those job fairs and they used to, you know, they used to have those. Those check, I'll call those, those women who used to stand by the door as checkers to kind of make sure your ties are in the right place, to make sure, you know, your, your shoes ain't scuffed up, to make sure your resume ain't, it looks good, you know. And I understand it, but it felt more like, uh, you know, all right, now you're going in there and, you know, you, 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 you going in there and you smile for them and just get that job. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, go out there and be the job. You know, I mean, I would say that more now. But anyway, it's just like this, though, with this whole us wanting a seat at the table. You know, it's like, OK, let's say all the HBCUs are playing a space card game. You know, you know, I'm not really too familiar with space, but let's say like Hampton, what? Hampton. Go ahead. You don't know space anyway. That could keep going. Sorry, man. <laughs> <He don't. laughs> yeah, that's not my thing. So, but you know, I, I got family members. I watch them play. So, you know, let's say Hampton and Tuskegee. You know, they, you know, they, they, they playing together. And you got Howard Morehouse and Spellman, Auntie, and you know, like FAMU in there. And you know, everybody's talking, and you know, Hampton just yell, and everybody's like talking about the George uh, Lips thing. I mean, I'm sorry, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, Black Lives Matter, absolutely, of course, Black Lives Matter. And then we got Hampton over here. You know what, guys? I mean, I've been thinking about it. You know, I mean, of course, yeah, Black Lives do matter, but I'm gonna stick with this All Lives Matter thing. And then you kind of hear the quiet. 
<laughs> almost like you know, <laughs> and the, it, rem, it reminds me of that scene in Menace to Society, the beginning scene where Sam Jackson, you know, was playing that card game and he shoots the guy. <laughs> you know, Hampton is reminds me. It's just like, dude, you already, you know, we already have a reputation as a, you know, almost like a, a shoe shine boy, you know, of the HBCUs. You know, like, you know, like. And I just hate that reputation. I'm not saying we got to be like Howard, you know, loud and out there in the streets. But you can still do your thing. Just don't, oh, just don't, you know, I don't like the, I just, I don't like that type of uh, uh, respectability politics, you know. That's not my yeah. thing, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, one, one thing that was interesting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you good. Yeah, well, just along those lines. I mean, you know, every school has uh, an identity, right, and and, and leanings, um, some liberal, some conservative, some dynamic, all kinds, right? When you have a statue of Booker T. Washington in the middle of your campus, that says a lot about your politics. Like, even when we were there, did they really tell us to really read about Booker T. and his views on the world? Oh, Absolutely not. They not. So if you if you if you're trapped in and you're in COVID nineteen, go read, read, read the thoughts of, of Brother Booker T. I mean, you know, then you may get some perspective on why the school is the way it is on certain issues, and you know, there's a continuum. Things start back way when he was uh, the most famous alumni, I mean, and you know, the school is still <laughs> on that path. So <laughs> I'm not shocked. Let's just. I, let's, I just wish I had known. <laughs> Let's just say it like this: If Booker T was alive today, he'll be the Jason Whitlock of uh, Fox Sports. I mean, not for me, like, Fox he'd be News. Clarence Thomas. He'd be Clarence Thomas. Oh yeah, he'd be Clarence Thomas, Larry Elder. You yeah. know, oh god, you know Thomas Soul. You know all those, all those. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. But thank, right. thank you, Booker. T. For back then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, we could go on forever about this, but uh, stay tight. I mean, folks, if you're out there protesting, which many of us are, many Hamptonians are. I mean, I saw Ebony Fire, um, uh, former folks, in leading protests. I mean, so we out there. So you know, a lot of us are are are. Everyone I know is um, disturbed, and all pirates I know are disturbed and doing their best to fight against the evils is just you know the institution has other concerns um and uh, sometimes they're on for show uh but let's move on here today on to uh COVID-19 so just as it relates to sports everybody knows what's going on we're in the middle of a global pandemic it's the novel coronavirus as of today 108 thousands Americans are dead um yes bad news um you know before the, the lynching and the uh, protest, I mean, I was, that's been enough on its own, but uh, this is, um, we're still in a pandemic, global pandemic. So let's just talk about it as it relates to sports. Um, you know, I was watching Real News and we're reading up a lot on this and um, the, the Real Sports show on HBO and they were talking about what really set this off in Italy. And it, it's looking like the soccer matches, uh, the football matches, as they call it over there, is really what helped to, uh, drive the spread over there, and they're saying that you know those tight, those tight uh, uh, spaces with the fans, 
And when you're screaming sometimes, you know, yelling for your team, your, your saliva and spit can go 18 feet. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, as they do contact tracing, most, most of the traces went back to people at the soccer game. So that's why it was very mm-hmm. important to shut sports down um, throughout the world and here. So they also did some research here. And, you know, the NBA perhaps did not set, uh, shut down early enough, and they also drove the spread. So, um, you know, doctors have been saying, yeah, just to open up society safely, we're ignoring this because that's what we do in this country, ignoring the doctors. They said to open up safely, you need regular testing, like you know, almost daily, and some depending on your job, uh, contact tracing, and ultimately uh, vaccinations. We have none of those three, and but it looks like we're going to open up sports, uh, which which is not looking <laughs> to be safe right now. Even as of this taping half tonight, uh, Oklahoma State opened up their campus uh, for athletes to come back. As of today, three Oklahoma State players have tested positive for coronavirus. That's today. Mm. Just like just getting back to campus. So yeah. I don't know. I'm worried, man. I mean, I love to see football and I uh, love to see the Pirates carry on, but I, I'm not ready to see sports. I don't think we're ready. I, I just don't know how you're going to test and quarantine and keep everyone safe. I just haven't seen a plan. Like, even my office at work is still closed. Like, we can't go back. So I don't know how they're going to let the athletes come back and uh, the coaches and, and, you know, all ex- associated people have to take care of them. I just don't understand that. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on the season starting? I, I'm not – I don't have good feelings about it. It shouldn't start. Uh, I think we just probably just need to take a respite and just let this year go. I mean – uh, I, I mean, I think that even at our level, you know, let's say at the Big South level, having no fans in the stands just to play a game, I think is, I mean, if you have to do it, I understand. But at the same time, though, how are you keeping our young men safe? Safe, You know, if you think about it, you know, I, it just does not make any feasible sense, you know, because I did see a report they were talking about, similar to that real sports story where I think the Ukrainian league opened up, you know, soccer again. And just like you said, just like with Oklahoma State, but they weren't doing it in front of fans. They tried to be extremely as safe as possible. The the players weren't able to see their family. Everybody was in a cocoon in their – in their own, let's say, uh, their own areas, you know, they weren't allowed to leave the facility, and 10 people still tested positive for coronavirus. Mm. These are people who didn't have coronavirus before coming in. So I just think these little experiments that we're seeing in other countries, you know, would definitely would hit us even harder have we have, if we try to bring it back. I just think that Right now, we have to trust doctors over, you know, over these profiteers, you know. And I just, I mean, and it, even if you go back 100 years to the, you know, Spanish flu epidemic and you read the notes, what people were saying, you know, everybody, yes, they were wearing masks everywhere, but people were still catching, you know, the influenza and dying, you know, it killed 3% of the population. So I just don't see, I, I think a lot of people still are not taking it seriously, and I just think that, you know, a delayed, a, a delayed, let's say, it's just like even if you bring football back, you have to open up these campuses. And, you you know, it's just, it's just too many, uh, it's just too many wheels, you know, too many parts 
you know, so for it to come back safely. And I just think that maybe we should just cancel sports. If they're canceling concerts till 2021, they could at least cancel sports. I know it will be a huge economic loss to many universities, but I would rather have safety over, you know, this, you know, this pandemic. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, an old man, uh, when I watch certain things like a dad, like, so, you know, we, we follow just, you know, we social media guys, so we see kids on, players on social media, you know, working out and stuff. But the one thing in my back of my mind was like, yo, where's the social distancing? Like, what, what are y'all doing, man? Like, y'all ain't supposed to be playing ball and stuff, but these guys, everybody's going to come back to the campus and no tests. And, um, you know, good luck, everybody. Uh, be safe, but I, I just don't see how this is going to work out well. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's just give it a full year, let it go, and and just come, just you know you know resume maybe hopefully in spring twenty twenty one you know let's give it a real chance because I do think if we start back up and just start letting people go back to doing what they're going to do you know something catastrophic will happen. See on to the other big news here tonight, FAMU is headed to the SWAC. Um, their board of directors just enthusiastically approved their plans to move to the SWAC. Um, their reasons for moving are travel costs, stability of the SWAC, and more money. Um, so big news for the MEAC, sad news for the MEAC, in fact. Um, yeah, so now what, what, what happens to the rest of the MEAC? What happens to Bethune-Cookman? What happens to South Carolina State, especially being in most two southern states, uh, schools? They have some issues to deal with, and could this uh, portend uh, a, a reunion in the future? Could it make sense for Hampton and A&T to come back <laughs> should this Big South thing not work out? But it's a huge, huge move, man. What do you think? You know what, man? Just like we discussed yesterday, uh, FAMU football-wise fits the SWAC, SWAC profile. But basketball, track, baseball, you know, it's auxiliary sports programs have the, I would say, the – cachet to be more of a MEAC style program you know it's just like I think that FAMU's profile definitely lends itself more to the MEAC but I can understand you know we're, we are at the age of an economic footprint you know just straight economics you know bottom lines you know and you know FAMU has to travel Bethune has to travel and this is my whole concern you know with uh, the MEAC is why and how in the heck does Dennis Thomas still have a job, you know? I mean, <laughs> oh, God, you know, at this point, I am going to, I am not going to call the MEAC the MEAC anymore. I'm just going to call it Marvin. And let me keep it real. You know, every time Marvin to me has always been the personification or the metaphor to a brother who had it all and lost it. Marvin the Miak, Marvin Miak has, I mean, you think the Miak has been around for over a hundred, um, has it been a hundred years? hundred years. Yeah. And okay. yeah, yeah. And it has produced some, you know, Hall of Fame players, you know, just all types of people. And just the fact of the matter is Marvin then got hooked on with a friend named De Dennis, who had been no good for him from the stuff, from the jump. And then he lost his best friend, Bill, Bill Harvey, who, 
you know, they had a bitter divorce with Bill, you know, and then Bill, I don't think ever going to come back. Then he lost A&T. Then he lost, uh, now he's losing FAMU. And the fact of the matter is these are three heavy hitters to the program. And these are people that are very hard to replace. Now, he can go out and get a Virginia State or, you know, as if Virginia State would ever want to come, you know, or a Bowie or a maybe a Clark Atlanta. But I think that losing – the fact of the matter is the MEAC wasn't accommodating to any three of these schools, you know, that they wanted something larger. And, you see, the fact of the matter is – when we were in the MEAC during, uh, the, uh, during our time in Hampton, the MEAC, you know, if you thought about it, FAMU and Hampton, South, and, and to some extent South Carolina State football-wise, they were routinely ranked one through, you know, like, like top 10 or top 20 uh, programs in the country. Now, that is just an indication of the schools, but the fact of the matter, the conference profile was very high. You get what I'm saying. It's just that um, I think that they did not figure out a way to, you know, to keep that momentum going. You know, it's just like um, we like I think a big point of the problem was, remember, we a lot of the MEAC programs wore those Russell uniforms way too long. And, you know, it hurt the pride of the students. And in fact, it to me. When you look at the MEAC, you know, it's just like, okay, is that all we get is Russell uniforms? You mean to tell me that, that that's all we're good for? With all these classics that happens within the MEAC, you have the Orange Blossom Classic, the Aggie Eagle Classic, then the Aggie Bulldog Classic. Then you have Hampton and Howard Series, which routinely draws. Then you have the Battle of the Bay, both in basketball and football. These are big-time draws that, you know, it does give you. Uh, you do get ticket dollars, tickets at the gates, and you get uh, corporate sponsorships when it comes to all um, uh, viewing. And the fact of the matter is we couldn't capitalize off of the, any of these to get anything substantial for these schools. And I just think that the um, leadership at the top of the MEAC just became stagnant, old, anachronistic. And we just got tired of it. And people just, you know, just left. And I don't blame them. But this is the thing, though. I want to see the MEAC succeed because it is a HBCU conference. So, I mean, I hate to pull what hate to pull somebody from the CIAA because to me, the CIAA is set. They don't, I mean, they're in the CIAA and SWAC, you know, they're very strong. That's same with the SIEC. But if I could draw one of them out, I would definitely look at Clark Atlanta University. Now, they are struggling financially, but if we are able to open up the Atlanta market to the MEAC, I think it would keep Bethune within play. Because even though Bethune is still the farthest HBCU, if you could, I mean, we did lose Savannah State, I mean, but if we could have kept Savannah and maybe introduced a Clark Atlanta or Virginia State, then I think it would be more equitable but as of right now, it is not equitable economically for Delaware State, which is at the far end, northern-wise, and for Bethune at the bottom-wise. And will Bethune go to the SWAC? I hope not. 
to me, it's not even a SWAC program. That's a MEAC program. So I just think that, you know, Dennis Thomas, you know, his time has come. He actually was pretty decent during, you know, the uh, start of, you know, his tenure at the MEAC. But, you know, it's just I think that it just has not benefited the conference. He has not benefited the conference in the past 10 years. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah, I agree. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we we do. We'll, I think you know the Big South is uh, is uh, interesting treading for us. Um, who knows what the future holds? I mean, you know, say uh, I could see a reunion happening. You know, under different leadership, and and if things don't go the way we think, if and if if the MIAC gets new leadership, because there is a gold mine there, they can do things. He just, um, I mean, HBCUs are, are still a destination uh, for many. You just have to translate that into something that people want to buy. And that could be done. The SWAC has done it. I mean, they don't, they're not, they're at least, one at least competitive, but people still want to watch and be part of the SWAC. So we, we need some leadership that can help make that happen. So, uh, but yeah, FAMU's out, man. They're gone. So it's, it's been voted on by their board. So we'll see where that goes. Um, well, so Rattlers, yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club, man. <laughs> but y'all going to y'all going to back the family, you know, and the swag, you know. But <laughs> I think I'll that. Say, though, be... Did you see the? I was just thought. What the last thing I was looking at the the reason why family wants to move on, and, and you know, with citing travel costs and the proximity to the swag schools. Yo, those are still big trips. I mean, it's still it yeah. may not be six hundred miles, but it's four hundred miles. <laughs> like. Is it is it really that much? I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think it's more. I think they're looking at more of it as a cash grab than anything. So (laughs) that's why. I mean, yeah, you know, SWAC has way more classics than the MEAC, and I think their fans would appreciate those games more. Once A and T left, you know. I mean, the FAMU fans, they only got up for two programs, and that's probably uh, Beat Bethune and uh, South Carolina State mainly. Right, right. Cool. So we'll see where that goes, man. And then uh, just one thing we had talked about a couple weeks ago, man, basketball-wise. So we we lost a lot of seniors, but uh, we've lost uh, men and women. But we've lost uh, two standouts for the past couple years, uh, Jermaine Marrow and Ashley Bates. So, Merrill leads leaves as the all-time leading scorer. I think even for the state of Virginia, but definitely for Hampton, uh, all-time Division One leading scorer. And uh, Ashley Bates, just a defensive um, stalwart, defensive player of the year multiple times, um, just a rock uh, for the program. So those two will be missed. And uh, but it looks like we got some pretty good recruits coming in to fill their shoes. But um, they 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 left their legacy on on Hampton basketball, men and women's. So. They will be missed. You know, definitely. I mean, Ashley Bates was just phenomenal. You know, I'm going to miss number 14. <laughs> she, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we've watched her, you know, since she's came, when, since she came in in 2016, you know, and she was pretty much on the all-rookie team, you know. And then we watched her points uh, average um, go up, you know, from – and her rookie uh, team, her rookie year, she had five. She averaged five point eight points. Then it went up to nine point six her sophomore year. Then her junior season, oh my God, seventeen point four, three assists. She averaged close to five steals a game. 
So and plus, you know, at five seven, she's getting close to she's getting five rebounds a game. So this is her junior year. So you know, David Six can definitely find him. He knew exactly what he was doing when he when when she came aboard. Ashley, girl, hey. We gonna miss you, and good luck to you in your future. You are our Hamptonian for life, and we really appreciate you. Now, for Brother Jermaine, I mean, we were excited about him coming in, you know, since he announced it, you know, him coming in from Heritage High. And he has been, you know, just amazing to the program, you know. And you know what? I'm, I was so impressed with this, the fact that, you know, he, unlike some other stars that we've had in the past that I will not name, you know, he stuck with the program, you know. We've had some 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 point guards that have come in, tasted some success, and immediately want to leave, you know. So, Jermaine Marrow, you know, he's from Newport News. He came in and, you know, just immediately his freshman year, you know, this guy was just, you know, 20 points a game. You know, who does that? Then, you know, his sophomore year, 23 points a game. Then, you know, he's like, you start seeing him making 31 points a game. You know, 34 points a game is sophomore year, junior year. Junior and senior season, you know, he was phenomenal. His career high was 40 points. But the fact of the matter is he led his team. You know, he not only won the MEAC, he won the MEAC and came within, what, 11 points in overtime losing it at, with, to Central, you know, to a team that, you know, surprised us. And I think that we kind of took them lightly, you know, in the tournament because we beat them thoroughly um, mm-hmm. on their court and at home. And, you know, they just got, you know, Lavelle got our number in the tournament. But the thing was, when we came in the Big South, you know, he actually, our second year, well, hold on, if you think about it, our first year, we went to the, was it the, the Continental Invitational Tournament, we went to the semifinal round and get lost to Marshall. We almost could have went to that final round. And Jermaine Merrill, you know, just did a phenomenal job that junior year. Senior year, we went to the Big South Tournament, came within a hair of losing, and you just saw the leadership, you know, from him and, you know, the players around him. So, Jermaine, my hat's off to you. I spoke to you during um, homecoming, and, you know, he, he, you know, he appreciated, you know, my, my words, and I just appreciate you, and thank you for your service at Hampton University. And I know you're going to go pro somewhere, whether it's the NBA or somewhere overseas, man. Good luck to you. Yeah, last but not least, Hampton tonight we'll just uh, give some football uh, updates. Uh, Coach Prunty has completely rebuilt his staff. Um, so uh, just talk to some folks. And it's a small world, man, down in North Carolina. I know someone that uh, worked for Coach McCom, the new defensive coordinator, and he gave him glowing reviews. Zach Patterson, new offensive coordinator, uh, looks legit um, out of Sam Houston State. So, I think we're going to be in a good shape, man. He has a full coaching staff here. And then we just looked at the recruits. I mean, you never know until people hit the field. But one thing that Prunty has done is he's recruited guys who have the size for what you need at FCS. So um, everyone looks the part that, that he's recruited and, and comes with uh, uh, a good resume. So I think, I think you know, <laughs> they may look like they're going to play anyway, even though we think everyone should pause. But – I think he's 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 got a good foundation uh, going forward with the coaches and the recruits. 
Oh, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, I really was very, very impressed with, you know, we talked about it uh, last time about his recruiting class, you know. he. I mean, even today, you know, he's still signing guys. You know, he brought in, what's it, uh, Keyshawn Moore, and we were sitting there looking at him like, who in the world is this guy, you know. Right. So, you know, he's really, I mean, we were like, ooh, then we saw Brandon Hardy, and we just, I mean, he has brought in some, he just like looks like some bona fide studs, and you know it's just to me it's a testament to you know to what he has done to this program. You know, we haven't seen I would say these type of recruits in a long time. So I am I still you know take my hat off to you know what he has done. Uh, you know, we did bring in DeAndre Francois, and you know statistically he did well. I just think that. Probably he needed a change on the staff because, you know, just the team alone, you know, that team alone to me felt like it could have been a, could have gone farther than it should have gone. And the fact of the matter is, you know, it probably, it just whatever staffing issues he had, he probably had to make those changes, you know. But then, you know, he brought in some good, you know, some players, Tyler Thompson, you know, whoo. You know, you know we, we're junkies about this. So, you know, we saw him and Keyshawn Moore and uh, the the big 6'9 guy we brought in and uh, the defensive end we got out of Texas, too. So those are good guys. And I like, um, the, I like some of these uh, coaches that he brought in. And you know how we do our homework. We uh, took a look over at uh, Patterson's staff, and I mean Patterson's offense. You know, over at uh, So, uh, got Sam Houston, and it looks like it's something that you know be. It looks like it could be pretty special. And um, Todd McComb, I know that's your guy. You know, and we heard that he was pretty well prepared, a smart guy. He knows exactly what he's doing and what he wants. So. We're good there. I know who I know. Mark Baycoat. You know he's a really good, uh, really good coach. I remember he was at ODU. Then he went over to came over here for a little bit, and I spoke with him a few times. You know, really smart guy, and he knows the area. That's why I think it works. It's beneficial to have him back. And you know, he worked at he coached over at Richmond and over at Howard. So, you know, I'm really impressed with what we got. And. Uh, it's just, I mean, I feel that hope um, that this looks like a really good roster. It looks, I mean, of coaches, you know, uh, that he probably has what he wants and what he needs. So, you know, sky's the limit. If we don't play this year, then hopefully they get a full year of seasoning where they can work out the kinks. <laughs> yep, <laughs> sounds good, man. So, hey, man, we we we've been at it, man. It's been a great show. We've uh, we'll, we'll sit tight and do our best to be safe and uh, stay agitated because uh, we need to use that to, to move this place forward. So uh, anything else? All I got to say is go Pirates. Go Pirates, Black Lives Matter. And for the rest <laughs> of you suckers and MEAC fans, y'all can, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> we good. <laughs> uh,